coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. In life, I think you succeed because you give the desire to other people to help you. You don't succeed because you are the smartest. You don't succeed because you work, you work super hard. Of course, you have to work mm-hmm. hard, but you succeed because other people, they want to help you. And, yeah. and that's very interesting. And it's not the people you think are going to help you that are, are, are maybe the most likely to help you. They can be very random people, but uh, it's up to you to be, to be here. So, it's a very whole story. I didn't tell that story for a long time, but uh, it's always a pleasure to speak about no, your story. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Sebastian Bretou, which I'm going to apologize right now, Sebastian. I hope that I didn't butcher that too badly. My French is a little, little rusty. But Sebastian is an amazing entrepreneur. He's the founder of a number of different companies, and I'll get into some of those in just a second. But we talk about how he got into the companies that that he found, why he got into these these different things, some of his upbringings and some of the influences that he that he went through, some of the help that he he got growing up. But he's the founder and CEO of Quima which is a manufacturing quality control company. And we get into how he got into that, that business. Really, really interesting. He is an avocado farmer, which interestingly enough is sort of a, a, a spinoff, if you will, from the quality control company. Uh, he has a foundation, that an educational foundation that has a number of different focuses. One of them, which I absolutely love, is teaching children about single-use plastics and and how bad they are for the environment and we get into you know the reason why he's doing that so really really interesting conversation he threw out a number of different nuggets on you know mindsets and and you know focus keeping focused and and how to approach boredom because again entrepreneurs get involved into many different things and there's sort of at, at a certain point there's a shiny object syndrome the way that he the way that he phrased that was just absolutely incredible. So this was a really, really cool episode. I certainly enjoyed the conversation and I hope you also enjoy today's episode of Past the Secret Sauce with Sebastian. Very interesting actually. So we used to eat with my mother only because my father was not back home. And my mother was a, not such a good cook, so uh, it was a rather a quick dinner and uh, a lot of eggs, which I remember correctly. And then, yes, that was my dinner table. Eggs and very quick. Nothing <laughs> substantial, not feast. But when my father was there and when I, oh, I was with my grandparents, there were a lot more uh, partying and feast around the table. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And did you have siblings too? or were you? I have a younger sister, yes. Okay, very cool. And, and when, when did you first get the entrepreneurial bug? Were you you know, selling things as a kid or any? Actually, yes, very, very, very 
early, I wanted to be free. I wanted to, 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 to decide for my life. Mm -hmm. And in my first job uh, that I got, uh, you know, in France, we, you have this system when you're graduated from a business school. I, I have a master in business. And they send you, instead of doing the military duty, which we were doing at that time, mm -hmm. you are lent to a, a French company to help them in overseas markets. So my first job was in, within this military duty. Um, I was like an executive to, uh, to help a company open an office in Singapore. And, uh, and I came out of business school and I had plenty of ideas. And, you know, this, it was like a very old traditional French company. Mm -hmm. And I got fired after four days. <laughs> so, I, so I finished school. I finished business school on a Friday, 14th of June. And on a Monday, 17th, I started. It was in 96. And then on the Thursday at 9.30 a.m., I got called by the HR department and they say, well, look, uh, you look like uh, way too much like a, like a free electron. And this is not exactly what we're looking for. We better stop. And I got fired. So I called my wow. father and say, oh, hi, dad. I have a bad news. This is my first job, I got fired. And so I realized very early that uh, I'd rather uh, create my own job and be my own boss because I had a bit of a... <laughs> of an issue yeah. being accepted with my boss. I was like, I don't know, I was a bit too, uh, too not, not ambitious, but I just wanted to change. I wanted to be taken, I wanted my opinion and my ideas to be taken into consideration. Yeah. And I didn't see myself climbing the, the, the ladder, the corporate ladder for 15 years before I can speak around the table. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think, was there something that, that you had in your life growing up that gave you that courage to be able to say, you know, after four days of working for somebody, you know, I'm going to go and do this on my own. Do you, did you have any inspiration or anything like that growing up? Yes, 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 yes. I have two, I, I can, two, two things. I remember I was 15 and a half and in, in France, you can, you can only work after 16. And there is this ad in the newspaper. We are providing free training for salespeople. Please come here at this, uh, this uh, place and we, are, we can provide two jobs. And so I went there it was, without telling my parents and it was a guy from Belgium who would like uh, tra travel all to France with his car full of uh, Band-Aid, okay. you know Band-Aid? Yeah, yeah. And the guy said, okay, I'm gonna train you to sell Band-Aid. So we had a four hours training. It was very interesting because he said, okay, you have 30, you, you enter a restaurant or butcher, and you have 30 seconds to put a band-aid around the finger of the people you're talking to, so they, okay. they can't really let you out. And then you have to put a lot of uh, band-aid on the counter and a lot of boxes, and one boxes was 24 rolls of two meters band-aid. So 48 okay. meters of band-aid for, like, uh, for like $500. And interestingly, and the guy said, so we got a training, we were 15 of us, he, he, he took a bus and, uh, and unleashed us in the, in the town, and at the end of the day, the two best sellers will get the job. Okay. And that was my first job. And I was number two. And I loved like selling band-aids, like at crazy prices yeah. with all those techniques. So that means I, I, I love the, I, I really love the, 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 the sale, convincing people and closing a deal really excites me very, yeah. very, very, very much. And um, and what was your question? I had the second uh, thing I, I wanted just, to share. Just if you had any type of entrepreneurial inspiration, I, had, I guess you can say. And and I remember when I was in business school, I did my master actually in HEC in, in France, but uh, the, the major was entrepreneurship. And one successful entrepreneur came and gave us a lecture. And he told us something that really struck me was experience is the intelligence of idiots. 
you don't need to wait and like uh, learn in a big group for seven or eight years to jump. You can start now. The earlier you start, the, 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 more, the more minor your mistake will be, the, the, minor, the, the, the smaller the impact, and you better start right away. You don't need to wait to have experience. Experience is intelligence of the idiot. And it really struck something. And so when I had the opportunity, I was in Hong Kong to start my business. I saw some Tamaguchis in the street. It was, nobody was, were using Tamaguchi in Europe. And I was the first one to import Tamaguchis. And in three weeks, you know, I, I, I bought some Tamaguchi and sold them on the deal. And I say, why not? You know, I'm young. I have never done that before. And I went to, 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 to you know, I found some Tamaguchis and I went to, to, to meet a guy in Hong Kong who had a factory. Mm-hmm. And his name was George Choi. He was 53 years old. I was 24 years. I had no business. I didn't have even a, a company. And I talked to him and said, look, I want to do business. I want to buy some Tamaguchi, but I, I just have a client, but I don't have a company and I, it's my, I have no experience. And the guy looked at me and he decided to help me. And yeah. he said, okay. And at that time, it was a big rush on Tamaguchi. You, have, you had two years, two months uh, delivery time. And somehow, he was 53, I was 24, he wanted to help me. And he said, okay, Sebastian, you're going to have 30,000 pieces by the end of the week uh, on Friday. And we were on a Tuesday. And so I, I, he loaded me with products that nobody could get. So very easily, I could sell those products uh-huh. at a very high price. Yeah. And, I, 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 uh, and the client was paying 20% deposit, 30% deposit, and then 70% on delivery. So I, I, I did times five on the, on the cost. So I could pay for the whole product with the deposit and the shipment yeah. by plane. And then I made 100,000 euros of profit in three weeks. That's how yeah. I started. But interestingly, I started because I said, why not? Why not trying? Why not go? And why not also be honest? It was not cheating. And I, I didn't pretend I was like a great trader or I had a business. I just talked to him and said, look, it's me. I myself, this is what I want to do. Yeah. And the guy just trusted me. He decided to trust me. He decided to help. And that's... I, I mentioned his name again, you know, like 25 years later, George Shoy, but it's really significant and uh, uh, that kind of help. And you succeed in life, I think, you succeed because you give the desire to other people to help you. You don't succeed because you are the smartest. You don't succeed because you work, you work super hard. Of course, you have to work mm-hmm. hard, but you succeed because other people, they want to help you. And, yeah. and it, that's very interesting. And it's not the people you think are going to help you that are, are, are maybe the most likely to help you. They can be very random people. But uh, it's up to you to be, to be here. So, it's a very whole story. I didn't tell that story for a long time, but uh, it's always a pleasure to speak about no, your story. I love story. that. I love that. So, so w- was he the only person that you approached and you got lucky on your first, first try that somebody yes. was willing to help you? Really? Oh, that's I got, that's great. I, in, I, I got, in my first trade, I made 100,000. Actually, so... From business school, I was in Hong Kong. I bought the, 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 the things, and then a friend of mine in France found the client because everybody wanted to make Tamaguchi. So it was a retailer in France who wanted Tamaguchi. We were the only one to have them in a week, so he bought them. And so we made 200,000 euros of profit. I made, and then we split with my friend. I, I, so 100,000 euros for me, 100,000 euros for him. Interestingly, my friend, we were very young, and we were like mm-hmm. 24, 23. And interestingly, my friend, he was dating this very good-looking blonde girl at that time, very mm-hmm. hot, and he was not sure he could keep her for long. So anyways, I don't know why, but he took his 100,000 euros, and then he went at the corner at the Porsche shop, and he bought a brand-new Porsche for 80,000 euros. Wow. wow. And me, I kept my 100,000 euros as the capital of my company, and then I grew. 
Mm-hmm. And then uh, three years later, he had, he had too small a capital to, to keep his business growing. And then he went back to find a job and uh, I bought him out. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And Interesting. Uh, he has, I don't think he has a Porsche uh, anymore. No, no Porsche anymore. No blonde anymore, probably either, right? <laughs> You know what? Uh, it's, 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 it's an interesting story. The, the fact is, this friend, so he bought that Porsche and then uh, he, he tried to do a business, but the business was small. He didn't have any capital. And then the business closed down and I bought him out. And then he found a job. And uh, uh, five, six years later, because he was, I opened an office in Paris, and for some reason, he applied to be the, the general manager of that office. Okay. And so as, as I would never have hired him because you don't hire the former partner, but out of course, he, of course, I see him. And then I remember he came and we talked and I said, okay, but no, we, I don't think it's going to work. So, and I walked him out from my office and I walked him to his car. And at that time, he had like a utilitarian car, like a SUV, uh, like a, a professional car. He didn't have the Porsche. Mm-hmm. And I realized, wow, two years later, the Porsche is gone. He sold it. And I realized that my business at that time was making like the equivalent of one Porsche per month of profit. Yeah, yeah. And so I think, you know, for the people who are listening today, it's very important to make the difference between an asset and the capital and the, the revenue on the capital. And if you spend, spend your capital, then you'd have no more revenue, you know? So you preserve your capital, very important. Yeah, no, absolutely. So so let's talk a little bit about what your your current focus is today. Obviously, you you've... It sounds like you've been involved in the Asian manufacturing yes. industry for, for quite some time. So talk a little bit about you know some of the things that you saw in the market and, and the, the direction that you went with your business and how it's developed into what it is today. Okay, so maybe, maybe uh, so today, Kima, we do quality inspection. It's a so-called TIC player, testing, inspection, certification. We work across two verticals, consumer goods and food, globally. We have 14,000 clients, brand and retailer, retailers globally, 26% in, the U, in, in, in North America, 30% in Europe, and then South America and, and everywhere. We work with for the likes of uh, you know, Costco, uh, Warby Parker, uh, Gap, Ralph Lauren, all these guys. Um, and th- that's, what, that's what we do globally. And so at that time, I was buying, when I was buying Tamaguchi, I had a trading business in, in Hong Kong. I was buying products from the China factory and I was selling them to Europe. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, I had a lot of quality problems, quality issues, because, you know, the China factory is not always super reliable. Yeah. And I remember one of my clients said, I want to buy this product, but I want you to do like a SGS in- inspection. SGS is a worldwide leader in my industry. It's a Swiss company, you know, 20 billion, uh, 20 billion uh, company. And I call SGS and say, can I have a quality inspection of my goods being produced in that factory? And they call me and, and I call them and then they say, well, uh, yes, we can, but it's going to cost you $500 it's one, for one day of inspection. You have to pay in advance. We can do the inspection next week. And then, so I do that, uh, $500 in advance. It's one China guy for one day at that yeah. time. It was maybe $20. Yeah. And then... Two days later, after the inspection, I received an unwritten report of like three pages. And I say, what kind of industry is that yeah. where you pay $500, you ask your clients to pay $500 in advance for inspection report, which has like no value and uh, which was like even unwritten. Yeah. And so I decided to, to look into this business. And I realized that the SGS and all these guys were targeting large companies, but the small companies like me, there was no interest. So I designed an offer, which was to do to propose a quality inspection online with online booking. And uh, we started to advertise on Google and everything, targeting the SMEs. 
And so the SMEs will go on our website, which fill in all the form, everything was automatized. And very quickly, we, 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 we grew up because we were uh, selling a very similar product than them, service, which was quality inspection, product inspection, but we were selling to smaller uh, clients mm -hmm. that were not served. And the business was pro profitable since inception, actually. And three years later, uh, uh, the, the SGS tried to buy us. And we realized when they did the due diligence that we were making twice as much profit as them on the same, wow. on the same service. And uh, I, I, did, I didn't sell in the end. And today we grew, we grew the business where, where, where it is today. And we, we keep growing and we now compete directly with them. But we started with an offer with a differentiator on tech and a lot of marketing as well. We were the first one to do uh, advertising in B2B on Google yeah. uh, 15 years ago on that, uh, that area. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So now, are you are you in different industries, different verticals? Are you in tech? Are you in like what, what, we, what types we, of things we, do you we inspect? In consumer goods. So consumer goods is basically if you take your house, you shake it, everything that moves okay. into the house is a consumer good. Yep. We inspect and then we do food. Okay. Blueberries, avocados, seafood, uh, you know, electronic toys, garments, furniture, or whatever. That's what we That's do. Interesting. We do not do minerals, resources, commodities. We just do like consumer goods and food. Yeah, yeah. That's our so, focus. Just, just so, so I have a little bit of uh, background of of manufacturing electronics in Asia, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, from the quality standpoint, are you are you as the as the client saying, okay, you know, go and test, you know, between this point and this point, can you get that granular with the quality, you know, quality control, or how would you, how do you, how do you, of course, of course, measure. Of course, so either either the client knows very well his product and send us instruction and says this is what I want to check Got this it. Is my protocol and my protocol or and it's most of the cases the, 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 the letter we have like a ready-made checklist for any type of product so if you go online you say okay I'd like to buy a pair of sunglasses or a pair of like a player headphones or a bluetooth headphone or whatever we have a checklist already uh, that we apply on the ground and then our clients can uh, can fine tune if, if he likes to and then you have a, pr a strict protocol that we apply. That's for the product inspection. Some products are regulated to the market they are exported to, like electronics or toys. Then we have also laboratory testing, where we test the parts for chemical, functional, for like uh, the, also the you know the magnetic uh, vibration mm -hmm. and all these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. And and I assume that all of this takes longer than a day to do, correct? So you go much more in depth than. Just having a guy out there for a day looking over things, or how does that how does that part of the process work? The, so, 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 sorry. The... So, so you you said that the 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 Swiss company basically would go out for a day and they would you know evaluate or do their yes. inspection, and it sounds like you're providing a, a, a more in depth you know well, what, evaluation. What we do now, yeah, of course. This, now it says this. you go online, you go on kima.com, and you say I want to buy. I'm buying. A, a container of glasses or fonts or whatever, or, or suitcases or uh, shorts. And in that factory in Malaysia, mm -hmm. and it's, uh, the, it, it will be ready next Tuesday or tomorrow because we guarantee the availability within uh, oh, wow. 24 hours anywhere in the world Okay. For, for the next day. And then uh, we will select an expert in that area, which is physically closer. He will get in the factory 
do the report, collect that on, on his tab and everything. The report will be issued by the system. And Very then cool. we, we send that to the client. They can check, they can approve or reject the goods. And then we offer them also a dashboard, data, and everything so they can manage their supply chain. And we provide them with all the transparency and traceability and all I love things. that. Yeah, that's cool. A lot of that's cool. There is a lot of tech uh, the, the, on, the, on, the, on the way we, we operate and also on the, the way we interact with our clients daily. Yeah, that's very cool. And one of the other things that really grabbed me about you too is, is you have your hands in a number of different industries and things. So obviously that's, that's one of your main focuses or that is your main focus, but you also have some other interesting things, an avocado, av avocado farmer. What made you get into avocado farming? Actually, uh, it's the same business actually, because we do have also an organic farm certification business in food. We do that for blueberries and we do that a lot for avocados in South America. So we can certify that the farm is organic or we can certify the, 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 the avocado type and everything. So, I, and I wanted uh, also to have, you know, something more concrete. I would like, I wanted to have a tangible business because, you know, nature, agriculture, it's weather, it's a lot of technology as well. And, uh, and then I found out that the market, the avocado market is about one fifth of what it is in, the, uh, in terms of consumption per capita in Europe compared to the US. And 90% of the avocados which are eaten in Europe are uh, actually imported. Okay. So I decided to, uh, and people of course uh, favor locally produced food. And so I built up an avocado farm in, in the south of Spain with a view to produce about 5,000 tons a year now, which is the biggest farm wow. in Europe. And uh, with all the excitement of uh, discovering a new area and of building, you know, properly like a, a farm. And because, you know, it's a lot of technology. Huh? You build, you shape the, the, you do, you have earthworks, you shape the, the land and you get all the irrigation system and everything is computerized. And, uh, and so it's very, very, inter very interesting and exciting. And yeah, I think that's also, you know, as an entrepreneur, you always want to, uh, to put yourself in uh, out of the comfort zone and learn new things, new markets, mm -hmm. new dynamics, new type of people as well, because you know the people in agriculture is different type of uh, of people. And also, it was also something I do in Europe because even if I'm French, uh, most of our, of my business has been uh, outside France and uh, and uh, outside of Europe as well. Even if in Europe we have a we have a, we have some footprint there. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you kind of just triggered something in, in, in my mind when you said that entrepreneurs have this have this desire to keep learning, right? So what is your what is your thought between I, I completely agree with you, and there's also the other end of it where there's sort of the shiny object syndrome, right? Where there's something new and oh I'm gonna go try to do that. What are your thoughts on I guess focusing and 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 you know making sure that you're moving in a direction that is worth moving into, right? Ra rather than jumping from this opportunity to that opportunity. It sounds like you've, you obviously you've got a lot of different irons in the fire and a so, lot of different. So it, it, I think if you want to grow a business, to grow it and to create value, I think focus is very important. Mm -hmm. I think you create a lot more value when you have a good business by keeping the business and going than changing business. You can be lucky once, can be lucky twice, but it's difficult to build like a lot of businesses. And me, I have friends who are entrepreneurs, but you know, as soon as they create values, they sell and then jump onto something else. It keeps them uh, dynamic. But I think in terms of size of business, relationship with the management, build, uh, the legacy is a bit smaller. And financially, 10 businesses sold every two or three years is a lot smaller than one business that uh, 
that you, you build over 20 years, that's for sure. But then there is two different things. There is, you need to be focused. You need to identify what you know how to do well and do it very well and grow that. Mm-hmm. But then you have to deal with something that's called boredom. <laughs> right. And, 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 you know, the first step is not to feel guilty when you feel bored. Because feeling bored is natural and it's normal. You have to understand. You have to acknowledge your board and you have to deal with it. Growing a business, you know, me, of course, the business today, you know, in the last six months, we've made an acquisition in Germany, another one in Mexico. I'm dealing with uh, the, 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 the biggest uh, private equity firm in the world. So the, the business has changed a lot, the same business, but the, the, the job, what I do now, focusing on company culture, management, attracting talent and dealing with, uh, you know, a lot of financial consideration and money and everything, it has changed a lot. So I made sure I don't get bored for too long. And mm-hmm. when I get bored in something, I hire someone to do it. And uh, intellectually, the avocado farm is very interesting because it's completely new. You know nothing. So you are like a, a little bit on your back foot. And I, I found myself reading about the, uh, some avocado disease in Guatemala in the 30s and understanding what comes, the as avocado and everything. And it's very, it's very exciting mm-hmm. to learn new things and that keeps you healthy and that, that keeps your brain active. Because the day, the day you start, you think that you don't want to learn or because it's not like you don't want to learn because every, nobody will acknowledge that. But what happens when you get older, when you're tired, you get a bit lazy intellectually and you start to have an opinion, especially when you're successful, you yeah. start to have an opinion on everything. And that means you have like a one, two, three sentence opinion on almost every subject, which yeah. makes you intellectually very, very weak because you don't want to, to hear to, to, to new way of thinking and everything. So you, you, I think it's very important to, to keep yourself intellectually challenged always by the people around you, but also the subject you, 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 you focus on. The farm building for me, it has been, uh, I don't know, it has, for two years, it was two days per month. Mm-hmm. It's not like I didn't abandon my main business and I could find that, uh, that, uh, that time. Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today. Because, you know, when the business is bigger also, I have, uh, I'm not alone. I'm running the, running the business today. Yeah. But, you know, fighting boredom is part of the, 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 the success of an entrepreneur. And, I, you know, and me, I think when you have a good asset, a good business, you keep it and you grow it and you keep it. It's, you always have a temptation to sell. I remember when I was like uh, early 40s, I, I had an offer to sell with, you know, lucky like whatever, like nine digit figures, which was more than enough to leave and the rest of my life and everything. And then I, 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 I said, okay, why don't I sell? And then I do something new. And so what I did is that I made a tour of all my friends about my age who had sold their businesses and see what happened after you sell. 
And I found that there were a lot of depression, a lot of divorce, a lot of people starting to party and, and uh, put some uh, beads necklaces around their neck and going to Tulum. You know, but I found that was not like very, very excited. And the, uh, the other entrepreneur who started another business at 40, the one that were successful, they were like Tom Ford, you know, we did Tom Ford after Gucci, but most of them, they were like successful in an area that was very close to what they were doing before. Right. Yep. Yep. And so I said, you know, why not keeping the business? And when you grow, when you, you are lucky enough to have a business that is growing, the business is changing every two years. It's always different people you deal with, different challenges you have. And, you know, I think, uh, I think it's wrong to sell. Yeah. And also, yeah. It, you know, it, it gives you structures. It keeps you alive. You, you it does. And you have a responsibility with the business. And as a founder, of course, if you feel that the market if you feel that you have no time for your family, for instance, or if you feel that the market is going to uh, not good, so you need to sell because you don't have faith in the future, then yes, why not? But, you know, as a founder, I think you'd rather have your business outlive you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But is this being said, I'm not going to, I have no plan to give my business to my children. Okay. They want to start their own business and live their life. It's not like, I'm not like in a dynasty neither. I want my children to have a good business sense to know how to manage money, to invest, to build businesses, but not doing my business. I want them to have their own uh, businesses and their own path. So, so you're but a, having yeah. a business that outlive you, I think it's quite, a, it's, it's quite a, it's a good KPI for success. Yeah, absolutely. So you're instilling entrepreneurialism in your own kids then too. That, that, that's incredible. Love it. Yes, I would love, I would, well, they will do whatever they want. And especially uh, build and, and their own life, that's very important. And being an entrepreneur is, is a way to do that. Because the fact is, you have a, you have a lot of freedom. You, mm-hmm. cannot, you cannot resign and go on a garden leave for three months, yes. But you have a freedom on the, what you do and how you spend your time and who, with who you spend your time also. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. You, so now you also are a, a, quite an a investor in other types of companies as well, correct? Yes, yes, talk, yes. Talk a little bit about, about your, uh, your, your funding and your, your, your ventures there. So I've started because uh, I started as a business angel maybe 15 years ago because I felt I could help some entrepreneur and mentor and coach them. But then after, after a while, you don't really have enough time to seed like too many businesses. So I invested in bigger businesses. And uh, financially, it has been very exciting because I've invested in the U.S., uh, I've invested uh, in Europe, in Asia, I think I have invested in now seven licorn from the seed. Yeah. Okay. From the seed. Huh? Yeah. Not from the Serie D. Huh? <laughs> uh, from the seed. The the latest one is uh, UI Pass. Okay. Which, uh, just got it got listed like a, a month ago. It's a robotic uh, uh, AI company. Uh, I found it quite exciting to coach and mentor young entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. which I've done several times. I find it quite frustrating uh, to invest and be on the sideline because the fact is they don't really listen. You can just provoke them, have some interesting question, but you know, uh, you, you, you're always on a passenger seat. Yeah. And so even if financially it would be interesting and attractive because I've made money there, I've made less money there than on my own business. And I'd rather now I'm trying to invest in things that I have a, a bigger part of and I can dedicate more time on. But mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. putting my money and being a sleeping partner, I think it's frustrating. Even if financially, uh, it can be, uh, you know, it's profitable, but I'd, it's not super exciting. 
So yeah. now I'd rather I'd be like a major shareholder in, in businesses that want to scale up and they want my experience and I would sit on the board and having a, a, a few of them rather than having, because I think I've invested in 70 or 80 companies. Wow. wow. And so I'm not doing that now. And for the seed and everything, I have invested in different funds. And when I have an opportunity, I just send it to, to, the, to the manager of the funds I'm LP in. Okay, got it, got it. And now, are you are you focused on any type of industry or, or type of company? Yes, um, I, I had two lines of investment. Ten years ago, one was education. And now in the last three, five years, I've tried to invest mainly in food and food tech and agri-tech. Okay. Because the food industry is 12% of the global GDP, but only 3% of the venture capital investment, venture oh, capital and equity, whatever. And so it's a, it's a largely underinvested area. While I think a lot is happening, a lot of many innovations are happening now in the food industry. And I think it's quite an in- interesting area to invest. Yeah. And there is also a big awareness in the consumer now who ingest the food by definition, a big awareness that uh, food is health. Yeah. A big awareness that, you know, you have to pay attention to uh, what is coming from and uh, before it eats your, your mouth. Yep. Yep. The Chinese have a very interesting pro- proverb that I love about food. They say something like, you dig your tomb with your teeth. Ah, interesting. I like that. I like yes. that a lot. I like that a lot. Yes, I like it too. <laughs> so you've spent quite a bit of time in Asia then, I, I Yes, assume, yes, yeah? absolutely. I started my business in Hong Kong and, uh, uh, you know, a bit of time. Yes, and I've worked a lot with the Chinese and I love working with the Chinese, actually. Yeah, I, I do too. Uh, I do too. I really love working with the Chinese. And uh, they, 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 I don't think they have the right, the they have an accurate uh, reputation in the West yeah. because it's really people you can do a lot of business with and very trustable. Even if they don't do that always through contract, but more like as a feeling. But you, when, when you, when you, how do you say that in English? The business relationship has to be way, weave, way, woven. Or woven? Weave, yeah, woven. Yeah, woven, yeah. Uh, yeah. Around the, the, the business relationship has to be woven around the personal relationship, which I think is very interesting. Yeah. And uh, I had very, very good, uh, I have a lot of pleasure still. You know, we invest in, we, we, we are uh, currently in the process of buying uh, some more companies in China. We have about 1,500 people there. But, you know, I, start, I, I opened an office in Shenzhen in 2000 and another one in uh, New Delhi. Mm-hmm. And right now I have uh, 1,500 people in China. And I'm, I don't know how much turnover we're doing there, but uh, probably, uh, probably, I don't know, 100 million yeah. in China. And uh, in India, I have an office in New Delhi. And now it's 60 people. And uh, maybe we do three. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, that the Asian the Asian culture so is is incredible. Yes. I, I can remember you know traveling there and it, the the level of service that you get and attention that you get no matter where you go is just you know incredible. You could be in a, a little corner corner restaurant or you could be in a five star hotel. The the amount of attention that they give to everyone and and you know try yes. to try to you know patronize everyone. It's just it's really really amazing. And 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 also there is a there is a candor, and also there is a there is a, a simple joy joy of being alive. Yeah. Plus, yeah. an excitement. They are very open to the other culture. They love talking to foreigners. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, and genuinely they are very open. And and so yes, for me it has been a and it is still to to this day a, a great pleasure to to do business in China. 
I love that. Yeah, I love that. So, so last thing I wanted to, to touch on with you is your, your foundation. Again, like I, I mentioned, one of the things that I loved about you is, was how many different things that you have your, your hands on. Talk a little bit about what your foundation does. So when I was 40 years old, I was like uh, questioning myself a lot. Uh, I thought, okay, do I sell my business? Uh, do I get married? Maybe it's about time. And also I, I, I went into politics. So I ran for, to become uh-huh. a member of parliament in France and I did 5%, okay. which, is, uh, which, is, which was like uh, not brilliant, obviously. And I realized that it was a very aggressive word, which I really hated. And uh, I realized that I wanted something, I wanted to do something else, having a contribution to the community, which was beyond the business, even if, you know, Today, 4,000 families are living with uh, wages we created. So you contribute as an entrepreneur, but I wanted to do something else for the community. Politics was not my thing. Mm-hmm. And, I, and actually, I think these people don't have much power I, in, in, in effect. And so I went and I decided because my parents were teachers themselves. And me, when I was a student, I was also like a mathematics teacher. And I really uh, had a lot of uh, excitement and uh, fulfillment to try to help younger students to to get it, you know, to understand some mathematics and things like that. So I decided to, to, to start um, a foundation for education. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I could have like uh, attending some charity dinner a few times per year and write a check with a taxi go. But as an entrepreneur, I think it was a bit frustrating. And I decided to instead to operate and build ourselves a, a foundation. And today, the Broto Foundation, we have three main programs. One is consists of giving uh, educational tablets in schools to underprivileged children, and we have about 40,000 children in the program. Wow. We have another program, which is building schools in Leb- Lebanon, in a, refugee, in a Syrian refugee camp. Okay. And the third one is we have, uh, I can announce it now. Uh, yes, I can announce it. We, we've made a partnership with, with a TV series called Miraculous Ladybug. Maybe you know. Ah, oh, no, I, uh-uh. But well, it's, it's 180 million viewers on Disney Plus and, uh, you know, Netflix, Miraculous, it's called okay. Ladybug. And so we are producing one episode. It's a cartoon eh, for children. Okay. We, 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 we target children from five to 10 years old in the foundation. And so we pro- we're co-producing an episode of that theory uh, to uh, increase awareness with the children on uh, plastic pollution. And what you do with single-use plastic and everything. Oh, I love that. And love then, that. and then the movie will serve as a base for workshops that will be performed uh, in schools by the teachers. And oh, so that's... we're building a, a, a community of schools and and teachers, and they will uh, they will use those uh, those materials. And that uh, foundation uh, has been uh, quite an interesting venture. I'm I'm financing it, so we don't raise any money. So we are independent and the people who work for the foundation, they don't work for the fundraising. They just work for education and try to do what we do as well as we can. It's a small foundation and we have uh, 11 people permanent. And then on the ground, we have about 30 people. But we have, you know, we have 40,000 uh, children in the program and growing. And, and it's quite uh, interesting to see another world because the community and the people in education are brilliant people. And it's difficult today. And uh, and uh, we tend to forget that uh, everything starts from there, from that. Mm-hmm. And you know, in the U.S., if you get uh, if you get uh, the gerrymandering and some like completely crazy uh, ideas coming up in the public debates, mm-hmm. uh, you feel that a little bit more education. I think the U.S., but you have the same thing in Europe. Huh? A little bit more education and people's ability to to validate and check the facts and try yeah. to understand what's being said 
could help. And that's the beginning of the end when you lose on that. And, uh, and uh, the, you know, the reforms of Ronald Reagan, which, uh, which give the budget for the school by the, lo by the, 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 the local people, meaning mm -hmm. that the poor area have no money for right. the schools and then the poor get less educated and then get poorer and poorer. I think that has been uh, under, uh, and the, edu the, the education has lost, the government have lost a lot of focus on education. They, they had a post-World War II, and then they lost it in the 80s, 90s, and uh, while the Chinese actually were invested a lot in parallel. Mm -hmm. And so education, I think, is very important. Of course it is, but uh, it tends to be forgotten. And if we can contribute a little bit, we do that. Yeah, no, I love that. Foundation. Just out of curiosity, what, why did you pick the single-use plastic approach or, well, or focus? We wanted to have one thing. And the fact is, you know, what I find interesting is that now, you know, the older people, they don't care. They have a plastic bottle. Yeah. They are always at that. They don't realize. And what I find interesting is that we could increase awareness in children and ask the children to become the ambassadors mm -hmm. of this concept when they go back home. That means the concept is that, okay, you're going to go back home and you're going to tell to your parents that they can't use this plastic boutique anymore. They can't throw that bag and everything. And because this is what's happening, we operate in South Africa, in Colombia, or in Lebanon. And I, I, I think it was interesting because that change, that awareness can come from the children to their parents. Mm -hmm. And in mm -hmm. terms of education, I think it was, it was an interesting angle. I, I, love, I love that approach. So, so I've been, I've been uh, against plastics for 25 years i've tried to you know not use them as much at all and uh i love that approach of basically using the kids it's sort of like you know in in uh consumerism right you know if you're if you're selling a a, a toy you know the the objective is to get that toy into the kid's hand so that he can say hey, mom i want this you know and then the mom is going to you know obviously purchase it so kind of the same thing like you know let the kids lead the way brilliant brilliant i absolutely i absolutely love that Sebastian, this conversation has been fantastic. If people want to learn more about you or any of your many different companies, what would be the best way to, to reach out and, and learn more or get in touch? Well, if they want to reach out, it's quite, well, they can Google my, my name and then uh, they will find a few links. They can reach out to me uh, on LinkedIn or on social media. Uh, the latest, latest one you can reach me is Be Real. It's a new startup I have. I founded. We just got like a, a Serie A by Androvitz. Uh, oh, cool. by Andresen Orovitz and uh, yeah. Axel last week, Be Real. You can find me there, but uh, you find me online, Sebastian Broto, B-R-E-T-E-A-U, and Sebastian with an E and not an A, and uh, you can reach me um, easily there. I love it. I love it. Sebastian, many thanks for the time. and uh, Thank you, Matt, for having me, and I hope the, your uh, auditors uh, will have um, maybe got a few ideas and maybe I'm, build I'm up sure. some additional uh, trust in uh, in uh, you know in uh, becoming an entrepreneur absolutely it's not that it, you know it's all about uh, trust and trust in yourself and luck yep yep exactly nothing, that's uh, exactly right no. yeah i love it i love it sebastian thank you thank you thanks for listening and remember pass the secret sauce